Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we're continuing our series, Celebrating Our Freedom in Christ, and we'll turn on our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, to chapter 11, verse 1, as Dr. Newfeld provides us the message, Freedom and Your Testimony. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is a document that was produced in 1674. It's one of the Christian Church's great statements of faith, but it's also a document that was historically used to train young believers and new converts. It would ask catechumens a series of 107 questions regarding their faith, questions and then the answers that they were to memorize. The very first question went like this, what is the chief end of man? Or, for what reason were you created? What's the task of your life? Now, the people who wrote the Westminster Catechism thought you couldn't live the Christian life if you couldn't answer that. So what did the Westminster folks think was the answer? Well, as with all the answers and the questions, they were derived from an extensive study of Scripture. One such passage was Psalm 86. Psalm 86 verse 9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord and shall glorify your name. But in that same psalm, in chapter 86, verse 4, it says, Gladden the soul of your servant, for you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. In other words, when you lift up your soul to God, he gladdens your soul. Or, glorifying God and finding pleasure in God are, in fact, the same thing. And so, for the Westminster Confession, the answer to the question, What is the chief end of man? is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I mean, there's nothing greater that can be achieved in life. Honor God in all things by finding the summation of all pleasure in Him. And so, all the things that you pursue, pursue that one thing. Now, we're discussing the issue of Christian freedom, and you might wonder what all that has to do with freedom. So, let me start. Too often when discussing freedom, we discuss the proper boundaries of freedom. Do these things and you remain free. So, for instance, if you live in a free country and you have free speech, can you say anything you want? And the answer, of course, is, well, no, you can't. You can't shout fire in a crowded room and claim free speech as the justification for the panic that ensued. And with that, we often have a discussion in our culture what the equivalent of shouting fire in a crowded room actually means in a number of different situations. And so you can see that in our culture, What we're really discussing when we discuss freedom are the boundaries or the edges of the thing. How much will we let you get away with before we have to stop you? And we might think also that when we're in Christian circles, we do the same thing when we discuss freedom. See, we say you can't be free and commit adultery or steal or kill or lie or worship idols. No, that's all true. But do you see what's happened? While we're discussing the boundary lines of freedom, we frequently fail to discuss the center of freedom. And there's a reason for that. You see, freedom is so easily abused, and we feel we must protect it. Now, some of you will remember that when we started talking about freedom, I cheekily raised the issue regarding some things of which there are no commands in Scripture. You know, whether Christians can get tattoos or piercings or Pastors are supposed to wear ties. Well, that's some of the list of things in which, in the past, we've had sharp disagreements. Most Christian fights when talking about freedom are about the border. 
where the fence or the line should be drawn and not where the heart of the matter lies. See, we frequently neglect talking about the freedom to live within the pleasure of knowing God. But today, that's what we're going to talk about. And so from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 and following, let me see if we can identify four principles about the center of Christian freedom. Here's the first. Learn to make choices for your long-term rather than your short-term good. See, most bondage in our life comes from neglecting the long-term in favor of the short-term. So let's start with 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. Paul writes, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Now, the major difficulty for many in reading that is the first half of that phrase. We think clearly that can't be true, for all things are not lawful for believers. Most specifically, we can't break the Ten Commandments. That's not lawful. But let's see how we can understand that phrase. Notice that the statement was most likely not made by Paul. Most likely, he's quoting it back to the Corinthian Christians. It was a phrase that must have made the rounds in the church in Corinth. All things are lawful, and that must mean that for the virtuous man or woman, you need put no boundaries around their freedom. Indeed, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 9, Paul seems to agree, and he tells Timothy, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners. And so it must be true that for the just, all things are lawful. Indeed, there's a sense in which that statement is exactly right. The boundaries of freedom exist only for those whose heart is the heart of a lawbreaker. But for those who genuinely love God and seek to glorify Him and find satisfaction in Him, all things are lawful. But even in that, Paul adds the phrase, but not all things are helpful or not all things build up. Let me try to get at those words. If you want to aim at the center of freedom rather than at its boundaries, make choices that are helpful and build up. In essence, he's calling upon us to ask the question of the long-term good. See, Christians in Corinth were quoting something they may have heard without understanding it. All things are lawful. See, if I'm free in Christ, then doesn't freedom mean that I can do whatever I want? What else is freedom if it's not doing what I want? Anything short of that is no freedom at all. Paul says, not all things build up. In other words, when you act freely, you'll have to choose whether your actions benefit or build up in the long term or in the short term. Think about all the people who proclaim freedom and do so by thinking about the short term. Now, compare that to the long term. I mean, I can think of no better illustration than that of an accomplished guitarist. Have you ever said, wow, I wish I could play guitar like that? Well, here's the good news for you. All you have to do is to take untold hours of intense discipline, going over the same exercises so frequently that you establish ruts in your brain and your fingers and senses now respond with ease to produce willingly what your mind dictates. You see, along the way of becoming an accomplished guitarist, at some point in time, you're going to have to stop exploring the boundaries of freedom like, man, I just love to veg right now or watch TV. Instead, along the way, you're going to have to explore the center of freedom. It includes things like using your freedom to learn perhaps from the style of other accomplished guitarists, maybe an Eric Clapton or a Jeff Beck or a B.B. King. I mean, now you're exploring the center of freedom and you don't need the boundaries anymore. 
You're not focused on what you can't do, but rather you focus on what you can do, what you can learn, how to improve and get better. I mean, that's the case of all things being lawful. So, you know, you really can be an accomplished musician if you're willing to commit to that. And that's where Christian freedom lies. If you exist to glorify God by finding pleasure in Him, you will first of all use your freedom for the long term rather than the short term. You'll pursue glorifying God. Second, learn to make choices that will benefit others. That's what we read in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, this is the principle of love. You know, I read of a pastor who preached this very text and then had a time for testimony. He asked members of his congregation to share experiences in which they gave up something they desperately wanted for someone else. And in that time, only one person responded. He said he didn't smoke around people who didn't like it. Now, after the service, a number of people told the pastor, you know, for the first time, I realized that I had really never given up anything for another. I wonder, how would you answer? See, don't you see, in today's me-first world, most of us have missed out on the beauty of sacrificing for others. To give up what they might want, maybe it's something that they would have purchased for themselves, Maybe it's something that they gave to ministry or something. Learn to do that freely and not under compulsion and learn to revel in the joy that comes from that. So if you want to be free, says Paul, freely choose your long-term good and the good of others. See, I wonder if you've ever thought about this in this way. No one can live a life of faith if they can't sacrifice the short-term for the long-term. Remember Jesus, who in Hebrews 12, verse 2 said, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. See, that's how Jesus accomplished what he did. He saw beyond the immediate pain of the cross and looked all the way towards the long term of seated at the right hand of God and acted accordingly. See, all of the Christian life is built upon keeping our eyes on the future promises of God and despising the short-term pain that must be endured. Every week in Doubt, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, airs a new insightful conversation about issues of life and faith targeted to a young adult audience. These conversations include Christian pastors and leaders from around the globe discussing important topics from a biblical perspective. Topics such as the sanctity of life or forgiveness, sexuality, the church, issues of mental health, loneliness, abuse, always with the intention of offering a biblical response. Join InDoubt on air on the InDoubt.ca website, the InDoubt mobile app, or subscribe for our weekly podcast. We live in a time and place where the daily questions of life and faith are challenging. We believe the Bible will guide us toward truth and and challenge us to live radically different lives. For more information about InDoubt or if you'd like to support this ministry, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit indoubt.ca. reading 1 Corinthians 10, 25 to 27. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. 
let's get back to the central question for Christians in the city of Corinth. Are believers free to eat food that is purchased in the market that's been offered to idols? And that's a question, a question about freedom. Back in chapter 8, the question was whether a believer should go to the temple to eat meat, and the answer was no. What if a weaker brother who's struggling with idolatry sees you going there? Won't he be dragged back into a life of idolatry? So his rule is stay away from idolatrous feasts, period. But when you're invited to a dinner with unbelievers, eat whatever is set before you. You're free. Stop investigating everything with suspicion. Enjoy God's rich creation. And by the way, some people just can't get that far. You know, I had a conversation with a young man some time ago who believed that unless he was reading the Bible and praying, he was sinning. I mean, no sports, no dating, no hobbies, nothing, just reading his Bible. I want to tell you, that man had not found happiness and satisfaction in God. He had found condemnation and rules. Paul wants to affirm that the creation is good. Go, enjoy the meal. And it's right here that I fear we're tempted to go back to the fringes and say, ah, yes, this is about the boundaries and the rules. I mean, you can't go to the temple, but you can go to the market. You're also allowed, if you want to, to make an impact on an unbeliever, but you can't go if he tells you the feast was dedicated to one of the gods, and so we're back to rules. Here are the boundaries. Here are the do's and don'ts. But if that's what you think, I think you missed the point of this text. The whole issue is built around relationships that believers are forming with unbelievers. I mean, after all, as believers, that's what we should be doing, having meals with unbelievers. I remember some time ago, I was invited to a wedding feast of a young Middle Eastern man and his new wife, whom Kathy and I had befriended. I mean, we were so glad to go, but in the middle of the celebrations, I mean, out came a belly dancer, provocatively dressed, who began dancing with a number of men. And out came a video camera following the belly dancer, videoing every table she came up against. I started to stack up chairs around my table, making it impossible for her to get past my barrier. And it got me thinking all the while as she was getting near, you know, I'm going to dive under my table if they video her and I happen to be in one of the shots because sure enough, someone who knows me is going to see that later and say, hey, that's Pastor John with a scantily clad belly dancer. Look, I know I'm paranoid, but I might have a right to be paranoid. I mean, after all, I'm a pastor. I know the sting of criticism. Now, we've mentioned two principles of getting at the center of freedom rather than exploring the boundaries. The first was to act for the long term, and the second was to make choices for the benefit of others. And that leads us to the third principle. The others include those who don't know Christ. If we live for others... We also live for the benefit of those who do not believe, but in so doing, you and I know that a number of gray areas seem to arise, and we open ourselves up to criticism. And that leads us to the fourth point. Look for opportunities to make a stand for the glory of God. See, verse 28 and 29 says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And I do not mean your conscience, but his. See, every free Christian has things he or she can't do and places where he or she will never go. Every free Christian asks, how will this action of mine be understood? 
If I act this way, will my non-Christian friend understand the holiness of my God? So when the unbeliever says, this is idols' food, simply say, you know, as a believer, I have only one Lord, and please understand that I appreciate your friendship, but I simply can't partake. You know, some time ago when someone wrote me asking me what to do when their parents who worshiped idols put food in front of them, what should they do? And I answered in this way. I said, what does your eating or your non-eating mean to your parents? Will they understand that you exclusively belong to Christ or will they not? And that leads us to the fifth issue, verses 29 to 30. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I gave thanks? Now, at first blush, these verses seem hard to understand, but think again about the context. Some people in Corinth had no doubt made accusations against Paul. He's forbidding us as believers to eat meat sacrificed to idols, but I hear he does the very same thing. Now, I know that was the wrong conclusion. Perhaps it had to do with Paul eating non-kosher food, And it went on from there, but once a rumor starts, it simply carries on. So then the final point about being and staying free is really quite profound. Prepare to be misunderstood, but don't be prepared to give up on pursuing the center of Christian freedom by being driven back to the rule-bound boundaries that others seek to condemn you by. And that's exactly the issue. Make choices for your long-term good and the long-term benefit of others, and never, never give that up. Jesus, you remember, was accused of eating with tax collectors and prostitutes, and so they called him a glutton and a friend of sinners. You know, there are choices that you'll have to make, a multitude of them every day, but the truly free person seeks the center of Christian freedom, glorifying God, finding one's moment-by-moment joy in him. It's worth a lifetime of investment. Some time ago, I got an email from someone who said, you know, for the first time ever, I'm going to join the picket line on strike against my company, not because I actually believe in striking, but because I've nurtured a very important relationship with someone who knows Christ, and I'm not going to risk breaking that relationship over this strike. And he asked, can you understand that? And I said, oh, yeah, I can understand that. But I also added, make sure that what you communicate to your friend accurately expresses the God who is. And he said he would. Notice, I didn't make any rules for him, but I did ask him to pursue the heart of the gospel with all his might. I believe this was a matter for his conscience and the Holy Spirit's guidance in his life and not my judgment. I was saying to him, act freely. In that context, all things really are lawful. See, someone will say, well, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. It's so radical. I mean, what if a person says he's trying to reach out to a friend and he joins that friend at, let's say, a strip club downtown or a seedy nightclub and in so doing wanders away from the faith? And so we run back to our fences and our rules and things that make us comfortable and yet make us ineffective. See, very briefly, let me suggest two principles that show us the heart of Christian freedom. Principle number one, say it with me. I was created to glorify God, yep, and enjoy him forever. So I'm reading verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So why would a believer refuse to go to a stripper bar with his non-Christian friend? Well, simple. 
No man can glorify God in sexual uncleanness. You'd be communicating to your friend that God is okay with this kind of stuff. See, glorify God in all you do. That principle beats everything, even in your attempt to reach the lost. Principle number two, do not seek your own advantage, but the advantage of others. Verse 32 and 33, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. You know, at first glance, these verses may look like they've been written for pansies. You know, we all know people that are so weak and vacillating that they spend their lives looking to please someone so that they have no backbone at all. Well, they're not free. They aren't in bondage. Whatever you make of Paul, when you read him, you'll never be able to accuse him of that. I mean, he stood up to Pharisees. He, he stood up to Peter. He stood up to the Corinthian church. He stood up to people who tried to stop him. No lack of courage in him, none at all. But putting it that way may make him seem like the person who says, you know, I'm not going to let anyone take advantage of me and ends up with a fight with everyone. And that attitude is an attitude of bondage as well. That's just the schoolyard bully. In response, here's what Paul says. I will fight like fury for the salvation of many, but I won't fight for my own rights. Might I conclude in that way? I've met very few men and women like that, but when I find them, two things strike me about them. First of all, how free they are. They're not easily insulted and they're not on an ego trip, they're free. And secondly, I'm amazed how men and women like that find delight in God. How about you? Is that what you're after? I pray that it is. John, your message leads me to a question today, and it's a, it's a bit of a tough one, I think, because there's that sense of evangelism and our need to evangelize, but we need to make sure we don't compromise our own walk with the Lord in the places we might be wanting to evangelize. Does that make any sense? Yeah, there's so many examples, I think, of exactly that. And Christians are going to have to say, what if I, if I give up my relationship with Christ, if I start living in a worldly fashion, if I stop living in purity, there'll be nothing to share with the lost world. But at the same time, if in my purity I lock myself away and have nothing to do with the places where the lost go, then I'll never be able to reach them. So I think we're going to have to learn to be free and to use our freedom responsibly. And it's going to be so good to do that. Now, Ben, I think you've done a lot of that because you've worked with the Salvation Army in some very difficult communities. And you talk about that. It's true. And there's with the Salvation Army, there's almost that expectation that you're going to show up in these places. But at the same time, you know, there's that caution. We don't want to compromise our walk. We want to do it for the glory of God. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Our world is confusing. Every place we turn, there are new rules and protocols, and we can clearly see that there are people suffering from fear, not knowing who they can trust or, or where they can find truth. Our world has never needed us to be clear on what is foundational and what is true. As a friend of Back to the Bible Canada, we know that you care about trustworthy, verse-by-verse -verse Bible teaching. Together with you, anyone seeking to know and better understand the God of the Bible, we'll find accessible, relevant, and trustworthy Bible teaching through a dynamic range of mediums and resources. To know more or to offer a gift to support this cause, 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And don't forget to ask for your free CD copy of Dr. Neufeld's series, Bible Teaching You Can Trust.